Amen. You may take your seats, and as you're doing so, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to pick up, not at verse 26, but go back a little bit earlier than that to verse 20. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. It's a fairly lengthy text, so please bear with me. Verse 20. When Abner came with twenty men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make covenant with you, and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. That is, he was giving him safe passage. And just then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had been sent away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he has let him go, and he's gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away so that he's gone? You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you were doing. When Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner and they brought him back from the cistern of Sirah. But David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. And afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house, and may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge, or who is leprous, or who holds the spindle, or who falls by the sword, or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai his brother killed Abner because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle of Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourn before Abner. And King David followed the buyer, and they buried Abner at Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king lamented for Abner saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. And all the people wept again over him. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore, saying, God do so to me, and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as everything that the king did pleased all the people. So all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner the son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, sons of Zerai, are more severe than I. 
the Lord repaid the evildoer according to his wickedness. Now, when Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard Abner had died at Hebron, his courage failed, and all Israel was dismayed. Now, Saul's son had two men who were captains of raiding bands. The name of the one was Benani, and the name of the other Rechab, sons of Rimon, a man of Benjamin from Beroth. For Beroth also is counted part of Benjamin. And the Barothites fled to Gitaim and have been sojourners there to this day. And Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him and up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, she fell and he became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now the sons of Remnon, the Barathites, Rechab and Baanah, set out. And about the heat of the day, they came into the house of Ishbosheth as he was taking his noonday rest. And they came into the midst of the house as if to get wheat. And they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Benai, his brother, escaped. When they came into the house, as he lay on his bed in his bedroom, they shook him and put him to death and beheaded him. And they took his head and went by the way of the Arabah all night and brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. And they said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. The Lord has avenged my lord, the king, this day on Saul and on his offspring. But David answered Rechab and Benai, his brother, and the sons of Remnon the Barathite, as the Lord lives who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. When he told me, Behold, Saul is dead, and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and killed him at Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more, when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house, on his bed, shall I not now require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they killed them, and cut off their hands and feet, and hanged them beside the pool at Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. The word of God for the people of God. God. January 3rd, 2020, a U.S. drone strike, as you know, targeted and killed General Qassam Soleimani. For days afterwards, many wondered, would that trigger a world war? On June 28, 1914, the Austrian Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated in Sarajevo. And that did set off World War I. Whether we call them killings, justify killings, or whether we call them assassinations. The fact of the matter is that when a prominent military or political figure is killed, matters can devolve quickly into war or deepen an existing war. And that's the context of our text. Such was the case in the time of our text, the text that we've read from 2 Samuel 3 through 4. That context is the context of two assassinations. Two assassinations as recorded here in this hot, cold civil war that was going back and forth between the house of Saul and the house of David. 
And we conclude that civil war today with these two stories. And we might be shocked by the blood. We might be shocked by the gore. We might be shocked by the barbaric seeming actions that we've read here. But brothers and sisters, we aren't so far removed from these things in our modern era, are we? These things take place. And as we think about these things, these bloody things, we're going to focus on David. David does what he does in these two stories in order to show his innocence of blood guilt. He does what he does here to show uh, his people and all of Israel that he is the rightful king. His throne is the rightful throne. He is the Lord's anointed. And in it he surprises those who think like the world. He surprises those who think like the world. And in it he gives us glimpses of a greater coming king, the son of David. A king who would say, my kingdom is not of this world. You see, the world didn't understand the actions of David in David's day. And the world did not understand the words and actions of the son of David, King Jesus, in his first advent. And the world does not understand the ways of the kingdom in our day. In these two stories, David befuddles one a set of brothers, Joab and Abishai, and then he, he befuddles another set of brothers, Rechab and Abanah. Two brothers were trying to maintain their positions in David's army. Two others were trying to buy their positions into David's army. And though he doesn't do it perfectly, as we saw last time, David is seeking to be faithful unto the Lord. David is seeking to wait upon the Lord. David was operating with the reality that God is alive. And that what he did, he did before the gaze of a watching, holy, good, righteous God. Joab, Rechab, they act, they take action as if God is absent. Theirs is a practical atheism. The faith of David is one in Yahweh. He's alive. He's watching. I'll trust and be faithful to him. Now, as a quick aside, there's a little, there's a little paragraph, basically, toward the beginning of chapter 4. Before diving into these two stories, there's this little paragraph that doesn't seem to fit in with either story. And that's just a technique of, of a good writer. A good writer will, will, will tease us with a little bit of something that he'll then pick up later. As I was reading one commentator, he reminded me of a saying of Anton Chekhov, the great Russian short story writer. Chekhov once wrote that when a writer places a loaded gun on a table at the beginning of a story... That gun is going to go off before the end of the story. So this business about Mephibosheth is placed on the table. And we're going to come back to it later on. But for now, we'll, we'll, we'll pass on the metaphorical gun going off, loaded gun, and we'll just have to focus on swords. Swords being plunged into enemies. It's not so much those gruesome acts that I want you to think primarily about. It's David's response to those acts. 
first I want you to see, particularly in the way David deals with Joab, that here with David we have a king who sought to be gentle. It's a bloody mass, isn't it? And yet in that bloody mass we have a king who sought to be gentle. He sought to be merciful. He sought to be a man at peace, even a man at peace with someone who had been his enemy and yet had come to him. He is seeking to be a man of gentleness and peace and mercy to Abner. Now, political strategists and commentators can debate on whether or not it was wise that he in essence seems as if he lets Joab off the hook. Political strategists would say, you know, was this wise, David, just to reprimand him? Just to make him get in the front of the line of the mourners? Just to call out verbal covenant curses upon him and his family? Shouldn't you have dealt with him more severely? Now you can argue on that, and I'm not sure what the answer is. But this is what I do note and know. In all this... In David's covenanting with Abner, in David's sending Abner out with safe passage, promise of safe passage, peace, in David's waiting upon God to give him sovereignty over all of Israel, in David's conducting a funeral, in David's composing laments, in David's singing of laments and teaching laments, in his mourning and in his fasting over one who had opposed him, in all this, don't we catch a glimpse of the gentle Savior? Notice verse 39 of chapter 3. And I was gentle today, though anointed king. I was gentle. I've been seeking to be gentle with an enemy. I'm seeking to be a good leader, and good leaders should be gentle. And in that desire, don't we see a glimpse of the gentle shepherd king, Jesus? Matthew tells us after Jesus had healed many people that this was done to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had said. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He'll not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will he, will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. Smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. In the actions of David here with Abner, in the actions recorded here towards the end of this civil war, see something of the gentle Savior. Get a glimpse in David's desire to be gentle and peaceful and merciful to a former enemy. See the gentleness of your Savior. With me and with you. For we've often been like Abner, have we not? Deserving nothing but God's wrath and displeasure, and yet the Savior 
is gentle with us. And with that glimpse, be then warned of ever thinking like Joab. Of ever thinking like Joab. Notice Joab's thinking in all this. What does the thinking of Joab look like? One, he's out for revenge. He's out for revenge for the blood and the death of his brother. Two, he, he fears for the kingdom of David. It's interesting, the words that he uses, they have certain connotations to them of seduction. He's basically saying to David, Abner has come and he's politically seduced you. Are you, are you an idiot? Did you not see this? Did you not recognize what he's doing? What he's doing is trying to get in and trying to act as if he is the king maker. And he has actually got his sights set on your throne. And you can't see it. But I can. And I'm going to do something about it. I must handle this since you've not. There's that. And there's also, I think, here too, obviously, a fear of losing influence. Clout. Because the older Abner is being brought into the fold, and if the older Abner is being brought into the fold, what would that mean for, for Joab and his position? Revenge. Dissatisfaction with the actions of a gentle king. Jealousy. Are we immune from such temptations? Brothers and sisters, we're the first. How often are we tempted to get even, to get back? We see it with our children, don't we? One child takes the toy from the other child, and what does the other child want to do? Get back. From the youngest of children to the oldest of saints, we're all tempted to take out our revenge. Now, we pretty it up. Joab's not far from us. With the second, we lack faith, and we have a higher opinion of our own abilities. We, we, we always need to be wise in kingdom service, brothers and sisters, but we need to recognize, too, we're not God. And God has this. He's got this. And the this is the life of the kingdom, and this is your life. He's got it. He calls you to be faithful and to trust in Him. He calls you not to be dissatisfied with Him, but to be satisfied with His mercies. And last, we forget what Jesus said to His disciples if we're like Joab and we fear losing out influence and we're jealous. We, we forget what Jesus said to His disciples when He said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. One writer put it this way, Though I profess to care only about Jesus' kingship, I fear I am far more concerned about my place in His regime than with the honor of His name. I want to be first in my area of the Christian ghetto. Recognized, appreciated, well-received. Under the guise of service in the kingdom, I crave all the strokes that my ego can get, even at Jesus' expense. And he ends with this. Joab is not dead, only transmuted. Oh, to be instead like John the Baptist.
He must increase and I must decrease. Second, we'll move quickly. Notice in the chapter 4, though a gentle king, this king sought to be just. A man of justice. Verse 11 and 12. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, shall I not now require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they killed him and cut off their hands and feet and hanged them beside the pool of Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. The actions of Rechab and Baana were cowardly. That point is made repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly in the text. They, they were thugs. They were tough guys, and yet what did the tough guys do? They sneak in during the middle of the day when Ishbosheth is asleep, napping, and they plunge their swords into him. They are profane. They go to David, they go two days with this bloody package. And they go to David and they say that what they've done was by what? The hand of the Lord. Oh, how we can hide sin under a cloak of good theology. And what they did was tempting. David, the Lord saved you through our hands. Why don't you give us some posh positions now? They were seeking to buy the kingdom. And how does David respond? Does he respond with hesitation? He responds with retributive justice. Then and on the spot. As David would write and as David would sing in Psalm 7, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and his own skull, his violence, descends. What they did came back upon them. Severed heads for a severed head. No more sneaking in on those feet to kill anybody else. No more plunging swords with those hands. And it was all to be shown to everyone. Now was David wrong in executing swift and commiserate justice? No. And let us remember this. A gentle shepherd king must also be a just king to be a worthy king. A gentle shepherd king must be a just king to be a worthy king. And in this, let's catch another glimpse of the perfect Savior King Jesus the perfect coming son of David, who, yes, is indeed gentle. He's gentle with all of us. You're here, you're alive, he has been gentle to you. And yet, the same gentle king is also just. 
And that's a, that's a thought that ought to check any presumption of ours upon His mercies, upon His gentleness, upon His peace. But it's also a thought that should be a great encouragement to saints. The greater David will execute justice. This, this glimpse of justice by the hand of a lesser king is reflecting the truth that our king will execute justice. Brothers and sisters, there are many in the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ who are wronged, who are seemingly continually wronged, who are even seemingly crushed. Many within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, many citizens of the kingdom of Christ who cry out, How long, O Lord? Maybe it's that Nigerian family grieving over the brutal death of their beloved husband and pastor. Maybe it's the heartbroken mother who's been used and used and used again by a child whom she has dearly loved through the years. Yet the child does nothing but crush her heart. Maybe it's the husband who, like Hosea of old, has his wife continually and flagrantly cheating on him as he cares for little children at home with, with tear street cheeks. Maybe it's that Chinese Christian brother or sister slaving away for nothing, making someone a pair of Nike shoes or an Apple watch while knowing her beloved pastor is in jail. Maybe it's a young man framed and falsely accused for a crime he did not commit. Yet it seems as everyone just assumes he committed it. He probably committed a bunch more too. A young man suffering injustice behind bars. Maybe it's the wife whose younger working days are behind her. And she's having to re-enter a working world, a tough working world, that isn't really high on older employees. And she's entering it because her husband has chosen a newer model and has wickedly worked the legal process against her. There are many in Christ's flock who are wronged, continually wronged, crushed even. Many who cry, how long, O oh Lord? May this bloody, swift story of justice remind such dear saints such hurting saints, and those saints could include you. I don't know what you're going through right now. It could, it could include you. May this story remind you that one day Christ will return. And He will return 
with perfect justice in His hand. And all wrongs will be righted. Yes, there's blood. Yes, these are gruesome stories. They're barbaric. And yet in them, there is hope. Hope. Because the one who suffered the greatest injustice of all at the hands of men chose to suffer that injustice because he chose to suffer the righteous justice of Almighty God on behalf of those he loves. And he bore it on the cross. Because that one, that same one, will one day return. And as one commentator says, he will then at that day establish Hebron justice throughout all the lands. And as we await in pain, if you're in that pain, or as we await in love for those who are in pain, as we await, I think the words of the prophet Micah are good for us to hear yet again. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Grieve with those who grieve. Pray for those who are being crushed. Seek justice. Love kindness and gentleness and peace. And walk humbly with your God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we will not do these things apart from the moving power of your Spirit in our lives. So we pray, all of us who have known of the love of the Savior, pray that we would follow the Savior, we would follow our great and glorious King, the one who is so gentle and has been so gentle with us, and the one who will return one day and execute complete justice. Until that day, enable us to walk humbly with Him. For we pray this in His name. Amen.